Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Thank you, Holly and Derek, for sharing that with us this morning. Uh, one more announcement that I do want to make sure that we lift up is on Jan- January, June 5th, uh, I'm trying to skip ahead half a year. On June 5th, we are having a new member workshop. Now, that afternoon, immediately following this service over in the hut, we're going to gather, we're going to provide lunch, and at, we'll begin getting started at 1230. If you are interested in what it means to be a member, maybe you've been a part of Orange, maybe you've been attending and worshiping, maybe you've even been serving, we're going to have an opportunity to come together for those that might be interested to learn more about what it might mean to be a member of the church and how you can find your place in God's story here. And so I invite you, reach out to us at the church office, let us know so that we can RSVP so that we know how many to be prepared for for the meal. With that, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, it is well with my soul. I give thanks for the way that your spirit brings us that stillness, that comfort, that peace. And so speak into our lives today that comfort. Allow us to find our renewal and a strength from you today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. I imagine many of you have heard of the Great Resignation. We see it all around us. The New York Times has reported that over the past year, over 40 million people have left their jobs, mostly in retail and hospitality. And I don't have to tell you about this because I'm sure that any restaurant that you've been to, you've seen Help Wanted signs up. You've seen in retail establishments how they don't have enough people to man the cash registers. And restaurants are struggling to be able to have enough servers. In fact, one of my favorite places I love to eat, Carburitos, had in this past year opened up a new outlet, a new place at Boxyard RTP. And they've just announced that they're going to be closing that next week because they have had such a shortage of employees. It's all around us, this great resignation. And it's not just that people are quitting their work and just not doing anything, because obviously people still have bills to pay. Sociologists, some have said that instead of calling it the great resignation, it should be called the great reshuffle or great renegotiation. Because as people still had to work, they still had bills to pay. And so they made a decision that there might be better ways for them to make a living. Higher pay, stable hours, and flexibility. They expected more from their employers, and employers began to give it. 
And while restaurants and stores were impacted by this great reshuffling, really almost all job sectors began to be, feel the impact. In the medical profession, doctors and nurses feeling overwhelmed by the work that was before them as this pandemic feels like it would never end. Law enforcement, feeling the pressures of the public, of the, uh, the eyes that are always upon them, and all the while still dealing with ever-increasing violence. Teachers, feeling the weight of their students continuing to fall behind, and government employees dealing with an ever-increasingly hostile public. Even the church, even the church has been impacted by the great resignation. There's an, a research group called the Barna Group who has for over 30 years studied faith and the way that it's lived out in America. And they conducted a survey in January of last year. They interviewed and surveyed ministers across the country and they asked this question, have you given real serious consideration to quitting full-time ministry within the past year. In January of 2021, 29% of ministers that were surveyed answered yes, that they had strongly considered quitting full-time ministry in that past year. That was in January of 2021. So the Barna Group did that exact same survey once again in March of this year. This time, instead of it being 29%, that number had risen to 42%. That's amazing. I don't have to tell you this, that that's getting almost close to half of ministers that are considering leaving full-time ministry. And when they were asked why they had considered leaving the ministry, over half said that it was because of the immense stress that they felt. And that two out of five pastors said that they were considering leaving ministry because it was so lonely and isolating. And 38% said that it was because of the current political divisions within our country and those political divisions finding their way into the church. I've seen it among my colleagues. Many who have, are taking early retirement this year or either, even being forced into it because of health reasons. And, you know, it's strange because when we think about it, a minister is supposed to be one that is close to God to help encourage and uplift one another. And, I mean, goodness, we only work one day a week, right? And it's not even a whole day. It's just a couple of hours here and there. I mean, what, what, what pressure, what stress could possibly be felt? But, you know, we see it all the time throughout the scriptures. We see it through the people of God. We saw it in Moses, who after leading the people through the Red Sea and into the wilderness where God is providing manna and, and quail for them to eat and purifying the water and bringing water from a rock, even in spite of all of that, Moses got burned out to the point that he just said, God, I'm done. Take this from me. So even though he's right there in the presence of God, he still needs to be sustained. So I think those doing the work of God, maybe it is that stress. 
In fact, it reminds me of this quote uh, from Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld one time had said that the number one fear of all Americans is public speaking, something that a minister has to be prepared to do several times uh, quite often. The number two fear, as he pointed out, was death. And so the way Jerry said, he says that this means that for the average person, if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than the one doing the eulogy. I think in the midst of this, this great resignation, this great reshuffle or great retirement, it's a result of burnout. I think everybody, we all get burned out sometimes. Burnout is this expression that actually goes back into the 1590s. And it was term, that term meant that, that the, the burn, it would, something would burn until there was no fuel, until the fuel was completely exhausted. And for us, I think sometimes we get to that point where there's nothing left for us to give. Sometimes it's that way in relationships. There's nothing left for us to give. We keep doing and doing and doing until we got nothing left. Sometimes it's in work where it feels like we have done so much and they're expecting so much from us. And yet there's still, there's nothing left, nothing more I can do. Sometimes it's that way in relationship even with God. We feel like there's, there's just nothing left. We saw that in Moses. Moses whose life he had poured out so much. And it just felt like there was nothing left. I think we even see burnout in the lives of Peter and the disciples. Who had experienced all that they had experienced in that incredible holy week. And witnessing what they saw when Jesus died on the cross. And then witnessing that resurrection. Seeing him once again being reconciled to him. But even just a few short days later. Peter wants to go back to what he knows before. He wants to go fishing. And so they go. I think that burnout that they have experienced. Is the same burnout that we see in Elijah in that scripture that I attempted to read earlier. Elijah had witnessed God do so many amazing things. And God has continued to provide for him in spite of this drought and famine that had taken over the land. In spite of all that, he had witnessed what God could do by bringing back to life the widow of Zarephath's son. He had witnessed how God had been at work when he challenged the prophets of Baal. And he had ultimately slaughtered them all after God had brought down fire, consuming the sacrifice. And then the scripture right after that says how he girded up and ran 17 miles. And that's a long way. If you don't believe me, go walk it. He ran 17 miles to outrace Ahab. So he has experienced all these incredible things. And then we get to this passage that we read today. He gets a message from Jezebel. Remember, Jezebel was the one who had led King Ahab, king of Israel, into worshiping Baal and the false gods. Jezebel is so angry at what Elijah has done at making a mockery of her faith, making a mockery of her people. And so she sends a message to, Jez to Elijah. And I find it interesting that as she sends a message, she doesn't send an assassin. 
Uh, you would think that she would have sent the assassin because she's threatening his very life. But instead, she sends a message that says, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the one of them by this time tomorrow. She's upset because Elijah has taken the lives of all the prophets of Baal. And in fact, some scholars even say that instead of just the 450 prophets of Baal, that he may have also had 400 prophets of the Asherah who ate at Jezebel's table also slaughtered. And so almost a thousand people who had been leading others to worship false gods had been killed. That would, sounds like a mountaintop type moment, this incredible experience. And he receives this message from Jezebel, and he's terrified. He and his servant take off, heading out into the wilderness, and then he leaves his servant behind. He goes a little further, and he sits down under a broom tree. And as he sits down, he cries out to God, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. I like listening to the different translations and to hear the way that the, this, these scriptures will be used and, and spoken. And another version, NIV says, I've had enough, Lord. How many of us can relate to these points that we say, I've had enough? I like the way Eugene Peterson put it in the message. He said, enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. And then... It says that he laid down and he took a nap. We all need a nap every now and then. Some of you might be having one right now. He took that nap. And as he's laying there taking that nap, an angel appears and speaks to him. The angel says, get up and eat. And miraculously, right there, there's this fresh bread that has just been baked and a jar of water. And so Elijah does as the angel had said. He takes the bread and he eats and he drinks some of the water. But then it says he lays down again. I guess a full tummy. He was ready for an after meal nap again. But as he does, the angel speaks and appears once again and says, Get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. You know, for Elijah, the journey's already been too much. But he does it. The scripture then said that it was in the strength of that food and that nourishment that he was able to travel to Mount Hor to Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. This journey took 40 days and 40 nights, which in the Old Testament is a way of saying a really long time. And as he made this journey, he gets there to the mountain. He goes up onto the mountain and he finds a cave and goes in. And God speaks. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life to take it away. As Elijah's in this cave, and he's in the deep recess of the cave, once again, to, to rest. God tells him to come. Go and stand at the entrance of the cave. For the Lord is about to pass by. 
The scripture then says that this great wind blows so strong that it's splitting the mountains and breaking rock into pieces. And then after the wind, an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a great fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. You know, that's, that silence is what finally gets Elijah to do what God had told him to do to come to the mouth of the cave. That silence is what brings him to the entrance. And it's fascinating to me that it wasn't the wind, it wasn't the earthquake, it wasn't the fire. It was the sound of silence, which if you're a parent, you know that when you hear silence from the kid's room, you need to go check. As long as you're hearing noise, everything's okay. When they get quiet, that's when they get dangerous. That's what draws Elijah to the mouth of the cave. And as he stands there at the mouth of the cave, God says to him once again, he asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives him the exact same response that he had said just a few moments before. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For uh, the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Yeah, I love. Right here in this moment. Elijah is so burned out and he's arguing with God and he's using the exact same argument once again. But God comes to him right where he is. God comes to him right where he is, where he's burned out and broken down. He's ready to quit and ready to resign. And that's right where God comes. God comes to us right in our burnout, right in our brokenness. God comes to us. My favorite name for God is Emmanuel. God is with us. And there are times that we may think that we are the only ones, that we are all alone. There may be times in our relationships that we feel like we're the only one that is putting anything into it. There may be times in our work that we may feel like we're the only ones that are doing anything and we're having to carry all those others around us. There may be times even in our relationship with God that we feel so completely isolated and alone. But the thing is, God is with us. Jesus came to the woman at the well when she thought that she would be all alone. Jesus proclaimed release to the woman who had been caught in adultery, who had felt so alone as the Pharisees brought her to her. But he stood with her. And the thief on the cross had to feel so alone as all the people mocked and ridiculed his suffering. But Jesus was with him, and Jesus promised to be with him that day in paradise. And you know... In that Apostles' Creed, the ecumenical version, I chose that one this morning because it reminds us of the important fact that Jesus descended to the dead to proclaim the gospel even to those who had died. Jesus descended to the dead. And wherever we may be, whatever hell we may find ourselves in, Jesus comes to us. The Spirit speaks comfort, speaks peace. And right here, we see it how God comes to Elijah, even in the midst of his brokenness, even in the midst of his being burned out. He is taught there how God is always with us. God reassures him. In fact, he tells him, here's what I need you to do, Elijah. You go from here and you go and you will anoint this one to be king of Aram. You'll go and anoint this one to be king of Israel. And you'll go and anoint Elisha 
to be your successor as the prophet of Israel. Oh, and when you go, there will be 7,000 others who have not knelt before the prophet of Baal. Elijah thought he was all alone and only to find out there are others who have been faithful. I think in that he is reminded that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's not death. There's not life, there's not angels, there's not rulers, there's not things present, there's not things to come, there's no powers, no heights, no depths, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And even in the midst of that brokenness and burnout, right there, God comes and speaks hope. Right there, God comes and speaks comfort. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe today, you have given it all. It's enough. I got nothing more. Maybe that's where God comes today and speaks comfort into your soul. Maybe today when we say, God, I am, I'm done, that God can renew, recreate, and restore within you. Today, may the Spirit speak comfort into your soul. Let us pray. God of grace and God of mercy. We find ourselves growing so weary from this world. We find ourselves overwhelmed by work, by relationships. And many times we find ourselves just completely done. But you're the God of hope. You're the God of comfort. You're the God of restoration. And so today, Lord, may you speak to us right where we are. In those moments that we may feel so isolated and lonely, may we know that you are Emmanuel, the God with us. Today, Lord, may we find that renewed strength within you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.